Hello everyone and welcome into a special episode of the Irish NFL show with me, Colm Cronin. And I am very pleased today to welcome a man who is a former uh, football player, college football player, uh, a man who has been uh, a mentor, an entrepreneur, an author, and he is president of Global Football. Patrick Steenberge, welcome to the Irish NFL show. Hey, thanks, Colm. I appreciate you inviting me. And it's, uh, I was just over in your country about three weeks ago and uh, spent a couple of weeks in Europe running some other events and now back home in Texas. And all I'm focused on now is uh, late August in Ireland. So it's going to be a fun, it's going to be some fun stuff coming up. Oh, absolutely. We've got, a, I think, a packed summer for fans on this little island with lots going on. The end of the domestic season, you'll be over um, with your crew. Notre Dame will be here. Um, Rod Woodson's going to be back. So there's an awful lot of fat for fans here to be excited about. The sport is undoubtedly growing. And I'm going to be really interested to, to kind of hear a little bit more about the, the August plans in a while. But I think... I, it's funny, I, I began kind of talking about people on this side of the Atlantic having a football origin story, right? Because we don't we don't grow up in it quite the same way. But in my years doing this um, and, and in talking to an awful lot of people, everybody, wherever they are, has a football origin story. Some reason that they fell in love with this great sport, whatever the reason was. And I suppose, you know, um, having having played the, the game at, at a pretty high, high level, I'm kind of interested in hearing a little bit maybe about like your origin story. What was it that initially made you kind of fall in love with the, the game? You know, I had, uh, there were seven of us siblings growing up, growing up in Western Pennsylvania in Erie, and we just played football out on the side yard. That's what we did, you know, we during football season, we played football. During baseball season, we played basketball. In the winter, we played or played basketball. And then we played baseball. But I was always drawn to it. And uh, in fourth grade, I joined our grade school football team, the St. Luke's Crusaders. And uh, my older brother was in seventh grade, so he was gone. So I was going to tag along. And I wasn't big enough to play any other position, so they put me a quarterback because it was fourth grade to eighth grade, which is a pretty big age range, right? Um, and then I just grew through it then and then went to, a a really good high school Erie cathedral prep, um, and had some wonderful coaching there. And I was just, it was funny. I was just telling a story, you know, how things happen in our lives that at the time are, we don't know, right. It's just something that changes little directions. Okay. And then you look at it 60 years later, it's like, wow, did that change a direction? Um, we, I was at. Erie Cathedral Prep, I told you, we had a really strong program. It was 1,300 all boys, right? So it was good athletes, you know? And uh, I was able to start as quarterback my sophomore and junior year, mainly because I could remember the plays and hand it to the right guy. That was pretty much my job, you know, give it to one of these these good, fast running backs. Um, the offensive line coach there, a guy named Tony Zambrowski, had played at, at Notre Dame and uh, under Frank Leahy, one of Leahy's lads. And I swear in those two years, he had never talked to me because I was a quarterback and he was an offensive line coach. He thought quarterbacks were just kind of pansy at, you know, whatever. And uh, at the end of my, at the end of my junior year, our head coach takes a job in Pittsburgh, a bigger market, bigger school. So Tony Zambrowski gets the job. And I remember talking to my dad going, 
boy, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm hoping that maybe I'll play in college. And I was thinking maybe like Edinburgh State, a Division II school or, you know, a, a Division three school in Western Pennsylvania. I didn't have any bigger visions, although, you know, I was I was a big Notre Dame fan. And uh, Coach Z calls me into his office, slides a book across, said, sit down, meathead, we're going to have some fun. And it was Tiger Ellison's run and shoot football, which was wide open stuff. So in the fall of 1968, we totally changed our offense. I was throwing the ball 30, 40 times a game, running it six to 10 times a game. We were beating everybody. They had no idea how to defend us. And uh, we went nine and one that season. And I got seen by a number of different colleges and had the opportunity uh, to eventually to get picked up by the University of Notre Dame and earn a scholarship there. So, But if that coaching change had not happened between my junior and senior year, I probably would have played at a small college somewhere and you know, who knows where life leads, but it's uh, just one of those one of those blessings in my life. Oh, absolutely. Um, a, a real lovely kind of serendipitous moment and, and look where ultimately it led. Because I, I love the way like you, you just kind of just dropped in like that. You happen to play with the, the University of Notre Dame, <laughs> one of the the, um, you know, premier names in, in all of sports like you're not just in football but everybody across the, the globe I think knows uh, Notre Dame um, and and you you know you didn't just go to Notre Dame I said you, you got a, the scholarship but you were the, the quarterback for Notre Dame and and, and that has its own story um, and, and I think that would be kind of interesting to delve into a, a little bit to hear about that mm-hmm. Oh, it's kind of a good time to talk about it because I was just back at the Notre Dame spring game a couple of weeks ago, and there were a bunch of us guys around from my era, you know, and it was 50 years ago. <laughs> That's crazy. You know, we were all talking, going, do you realize how long? And and a buddy of mine, Mike Craney, who was uh, my tight end, great, great guy, All-American, he'll be over with us uh, in August. And he said, Patrick, he goes, we have no relevancy to today's players because we're 50 years older than they were. And I said, well, what's that mean? How's that not relevant? He goes, remember 50 years before us was Newt Rockney. <laughs> so, so, and I said, yeah, that was like old, old, old school. He goes, yeah, remember Newt Rockney was like, he goes, so it's such a different, it's the same game. It's still incredible. Te- it's the best team game ever. You develop the friendships ever. It's all about just continual work and effort and belief and, all of those things, but it's, it's changed so much, you know? And, uh, but yeah, I feel, uh, incredibly fortunate that I got to do that. Uh, people may recall back then freshmen were not eligible. You weren't able to play in a varsity game then. So we went in as a freshman and I actually got hurt in the Pennsylvania high school all-star game that summer. So I show up with a cast on my leg with, you know, just strained ligaments. And, uh, so I didn't even get to get to play that first year which might've been good. I didn't get beat up by the varsity like the rest of the guys did as, as scout team members, you know? Uh, but that spring I worked my way up and I remember on the depth chart, they had these little sticky thing on the wall that they used to put the names on and, you know, you're under quarterbacks and halfbacks. And I was so far down the depth chart, I was like 16th quarterback and they had to put my name, my little strip vertical. Cause there was no room. <laughs> and, uh, and the number one guy there was Joe Theismann who everybody knew was going to be, the star again for another year. Uh, but I was 16th on the depth chart and just was able to work my way up. And uh, by the fall of that sophomore year, I was up to number two and backed up Joe T that year, got to play in nine of the, of the 11 games. 
and then we went down to the Cotton Bowl and beat Texas, broke their 30-game winning streak, which was an incredible uh, event. And I just got in for a series there when Joe Joe went down for a bit. But I remember standing there in the Cotton Bowl that day, and it was a glorious sunny day in Texas as we get in sometimes in January, as we've got today here in June. And I, and I looked around, I talked to my buddy next to me. I said, I said, man, I might move here someday because that Western PA in South Bend, Indiana, w- winters are harsh, you know. This is really nice. The girls are not all bundled up. I can, I can see their tan skin, you know. It's like, this might be pretty good. And, you know, whatever it was, 15 years later, I moved to Texas and have been here ever since. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of great things happen, you know, being able to, to go to Notre Dame and get a great education uh, and, and play some ball. Yeah, and I, I again, you you've a wonderful way with, with understatement because yeah, you you obviously you, you backed you backed up um, and then became the the starter. But you got the opportunity whilst in college to go to the the Chiefs camp at at a time when I mean Len Len Dawson was the QB. I mean, I, like that Len Dawson is a, is a legend even on this side of the Atlantic. Yeah. Yeah, that was another kind of crazed boy, and I almost forgot about that. Uh, from our, There was a guy from our hometown, from Erie, Pennsylvania, named Jim Schaff, who I had met when I was in high school through some people, and he was working with the Chiefs, and he was at that time, I think, was director of public relations, ended up being a general manager a decade later. Uh, but he called me up one day towards the end of my junior year, at school, and he goes, hey, this is Jim Schaff. We met a couple of years. I said, yes, sir, how are you? He goes, great. He goes, you know, we're going to camp, you know, July 15th, whatever, and we're out at uh, William Jewell College, and we've only got really two quarterbacks on the roster, and we really need, you know, and Lenny's getting along in years. We we don't want to wear his arm out. You think you could come and just take, throw the ball around a little bit? And I went, you mean with Ed Podolak and Lenny Dawson and all these, like, Willie Lanier at linebacker. I mean, this this was a Super Bowl team. I went, yeah, I could probably do that, you know. So I, here I am, this little, like, 19, 20-year-old boy, you know, and I'm in the locker room with the Chiefs in this small tight. And the weirdest thing was 90% of them, while they're getting dressed, were smoking cigarettes. <laughs> this, is, this is what it was in the late 60s. And there was a sign on the door that said, please extinguish your cigarettes before on the field. Your fans don't need to see this, you know. But yeah, that was quite an, and I realized in the backup guy, there was Mike Livingston, kind of a big, you know, big guy, you know, threw the ball pretty strongly and everything. But that day I went, you know, I can throw the ball with him. I'm not nearly as precise as Lenny Dawson. I mean, he could pinpoint the thing, you know, but that was kind of my goal at at the time. But yeah, that was, that was an amazing little uh, two week stay. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, truly, memories to to last a, a lifetime, and um, you know, I suppose, yeah, um, uh, we're the picking of uh, Lenny. I mean, when when you're over, that'll kind of be coming up on the the one year anniversary of um, of his passing, and mm-hmm. um, you're mentioning the the cigarettes. That's the iconic iconic photograph that yeah. um, we we all uh, remember now. I suppose you mentioned earlier about the the serendipitous moment that I suppose led to you know you kind of having the opportunity to play a really expansive um, type of offense, which ultimately leads to Notre Dame. 
Um, but there were there was the your your career wasn't going the way that you hoped. So you you went from having the opportunity to be at Chiefs camp, and it looked like you would be in the league. I mean, that was where the trajectory was was headed. But ultimately, injury takes that away from you and and takes you down a, a different path. And I suppose I'm wondering in terms of coming to terms with that because you were a young man like how how quickly were you able to to overcome that because that's enormous you worked your you know most of your life at that point to to push yourself it's the hard work that you and okay others have been involved in the journey but you know you've been you've gotten there and then through no fault of your own it's been taken away boy that's uh and and I was an angry young man my senior year at Notre Dame. I yeah I worked my way up. My junior year I started the first two games. We're two and zero, ranked number one in the country. Beat Purdue on an eight seven pass, you know, to beat them. And but I tore my hamstring in that game in the mud. So I was I played the rest of the year, but I was hobbled. I didn't start, you know. So I come back in the spring, work my way back, and I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm back at number one. I clearly was was the leader in the clubhouse to start. We had a great defense: Clarence Ellis, Walt Petolsky. We had some incredible guys coming back. And uh, first day, we'd always go three days of conditioning without pads on, right? Just with helmets and shoulder pads. And then we'd go live on the on the fourth day, we'd go regular practice. Right at the end of practice, Eric Arsiga, my coach, he's up in the tower looking both at the offense and the defense. And he yells down, all right, 10 minutes left. Let's go one-on-one goal line, see what we got. Which means we're going to go the number one offense against the number one defense, which you don't do a lot of in college football. Usually you have your scout team with. So everybody's like, yeah, let's go. You know, the, the big uglies up front are going, you know, they're gritting their teeth going, all right, we finally get to hit somebody, you know? And we were running a little, some option plays. I run a little option left. The, uh, the defensive end goes out and takes the pitch man. I turn up field just before I get to the goal line, a line or a safety comes up and I lower my shoulder. And that uh, was the last play of my, my tackle football. I uh, basically separated, dislocated, shattered, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I spent that year, you know, going to practice. Sometimes there was no way I was going to play, you know, the dream of a, of a pro thing. And it was, it was hard. I mean, you ask when I, when I kind of moved on from that, I wouldn't say until years later was I really feeling like till I accomplished some other things, you know, till I, I moved on to hiking mountains in Guatemala and, you know, doing things that gave me some – it was a hard, it was a tough one. And I, and I look back on it now and I say, I, I made some bad decisions. Um, but as I look back on it now, I say, and I say this a lot, it, it is not our plan. This life, we, we try as hard as we can. I try to follow what my dad said, just get your butt up out of bed every day and go to work. You know, it's what I, I try to do and, and plan as best. Uh, but it's, it's God's plan, what we end up doing and what happens to us in our life. And now at almost 72 years old, I'm still hiking mountains. I'm I'm riding bikes. I'm traveling. I was just in Europe for three weeks, you know, leading tours. Um, that probably wouldn't be wouldn't be available to me had I played that long. Because all my buddies who played in the league for a few years, they've got new shoulders, new knees, new hips, new you know, new everything. Uh, my body, fortunately, still works pretty well. Not not as quick as I was, but I'm you know I can still get out. Can still throw a little soft out pattern, you know, and a little. A little go route if it's only about 35, 40 yards, you know, but uh, it's it's just part, it's just life, you know, and uh, 
we take what, what we get and we do the best we can. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's important. I think it's good for people to hear that, you know, sometimes when, when things are taken away, it, it takes, it can take time to deal with it because, you know, we live in an instantaneous world where I can open my iPhone and Spotify is going to give me a list of music that is, you know, what I, what, what I want to listen to, but I can move on to the next song. And so everything, and there's almost an expectation for a lot of people that they have to, you know, move on kind of immediately. And, and I think hearing from people like you who've gone on to do other great things, and even I'm thinking like Ryan Leaf is, is another. Now, Ryan talks about he, he sabotaged himself, but the way in which, you know, he has rebounded from that, that resiliency to overcome adversity, I think it's important that people hear that those stories that it isn't all smooth sailing for for anyone and, and, and if there is a bump in the road whether that is an injury that you know takes away your opportunity to play in the nfl or, or whether you know you make really bad decisions when you're in the nfl and ultimately lose your place you can come back from that i think that's important for, for people to hear and you have gone on to to do really impressive and, and important things and i suppose you know um in in relation to you know, I think the the, the passion that you have clearly for, um, you could hear it when you talked about football being a team game and the involvement and development and and you're clearly a, a people person. So how how ultimately um, after the you know you move on from college, did did like global football like. You know, it, that wasn't instantaneous, but what was the, the journey towards that, Patrick? Oh, boy. I had about four different careers, you know, throughout my 20s and early 30s, really. And I I loved travel. I, I just, uh, when I was 25 years old, I left left my job running a radio station in Colorado and uh, had $1,500 and uh, a backpack with a sign that said Rio, <laughs> standing in Denver, Colorado, and... Uh, 16 months later, I returned after spending all that time and all that money, uh, but no more, traveling around Latin America. That really got me, I think that moved me onto the next phases of my life. I, I, I realized I wanted to study Spanish, so I went to a, a town in Guatemala and studied Spanish. And to this day, I can still do, I've done a lot of interviews in Mexico with events I've done there, and I can do them in Espanol, no hay problema. And uh, so that that was a that was a big time when I did that. And then I led kind of backpacking tours in, into the highlands of Guatemala for a number of years. Then I worked with hardcore delinquent kids in Arizona with outdoor programs, kids who really hadn't had parents who had not had the, the, the wonderful upbringing that I had with family around me, um, did outdoor things with them, with horses and, and with mountains and did that for a number of years until and got married in that time. And then when my wife got pregnant with our first baby, said, okay, it's time to do something different. And so I came to Texas and got into the horse industry doing their kind of event marketing and media for a group called the National Cutting Horse Association, which is kind of high and goes back to the old cowboy days. It's fascinating what the cutting horses can do. But I, I was their representative in the marketing and media world. Um, but I always had the yearning to travel some more that that hit me and i'd i'd worked with the with the teenage kids you know in the vision quest the outdoor program and i just i had a hard time working in an association where i had ten thousand bosses i've you know i've always been kind of an independent sort 
And I started having this yearning to get back into football because it had ended, you know, unknown to me. It was just like, boom, day one, you're done. You're done playing football. Um, and I, you know, I, I liked the sport. I remembered so many great things and so many dear friends I still have from that sport. Um, and I just kind of said, I wonder if I could tie this together. You know, football, travel, education, didn't do any research, <laughs> just kind of told my wife, hey, I got an idea. I'm going to quit my job. I can keep doing marketing for other horse horse events. I can put together marketing programs and, you know, still put food on the table, you know. But I think I've got an idea. And the NFL at the time had a program called the NFL World Partnership, which was a preview to the World League and then eventually NFL Europe. And I saw that and I just kind of said, this this could work. And uh, my wife has been amazing through life to believe in me, <laughs> believe in me and go, okay, let's go, you know? And uh, so I started, I took one high school to London in uh, 1996, Mount St. Joe out of Baltimore. And we played against a London all-star team. Interesting enough was coached by a guy named Tony Allen, who was the head coach at the NFL <laughs> Academy in, in England when it started, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, Tony and I have remained friends. So we did that. And then the next year, I found there was a division three college rule would allow them to practice and play extra time in the springtime. So I took John Carroll university, um, to Spain in an amazing trip. One of the, we had a linebacker on that team, this little five foot nine guy who was, you know, everybody, he was kind of a funny guy, but kind of quiet. And everybody said, Ooh, this guy can play, but I'm going, he's five foot nine. You know, it turned out to be London Fletcher who played 16 years in the league and never missed a play. Right. He was with us in Spain in the first, uh, the first, and that kind of, and then from there, I just kind of kept looking for opportunities and ideas for partnership. Uh, one of the, what do you remember from your college? You know, Colin, it's like, well, you know, what do you really remember? Right. I mean, there's a couple professors, you know, you don't remember this, how to do accounting. I still can't <laughs> move the numbers properly, you know? Um, but there was, there were just so many, wonderful guys. And this one professor I remember in marketing and communication said, you don't have to be very big in this life to be successful, but it helps if you have big friends. <laughs> and he was basically talking about forming relationships, forming partnerships. And in 1997, I boldly got a meeting with on 280 Park Avenue with the NFL. They had no international function at the time. Okay. There was one guy who was doing international public relations his name was Pete Abitanti, who it turns out 30 year, 20 years later was the special assistant to Roger Goodell. So he ended up going through. So Pete Abitanti and Gordy Smeaton. And I said, look, I want to do a game at the Super Bowl. I've got an idea. I, I, wanna, I just saw all these high school and small college kids playing in Europe. There's an urgency there. There's a, you know, there's a demand there. And they looked at me and they said, you want to play in the Super Bowl stadium? I'm like, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll find a different stadium. I'm not that silly, you know, but I want to play tackle football. I want to do this. And they said, all right, we'll put it, you put together teams from Europe and Mexico and we'll watch. We're not going to put our name on it, but we'll kind of just bless it. And we'll send you our media, one of our media guys, one of our international media guys, named Michael Preston from the UK who ended up working with me for 24 years. Um, so I went and did that that first year. Did 11 years of that Super Bowl event with teams. We ended up having teams from Japan, from all of Team Europe, uh, from Panama, from the USA, from Canada and Mexico. 
that was an amazing event that lasted for 11 years until the NFL kind of gathered in their international parts uh, to that. So it's, that's what started it. And then I've just, you know, I've got, you know, we've been doing games in and out of Ireland, uh, done games in Japan. Uh, in 2019, we took University of Pennsylvania, the Ivy League team to China, the first uh, Ivy League team to ever go play football in China. Um, I'm glad I did it then because they're not getting any more of my money. <laughs> we, we did that. Uh, but I've been just amazingly blessed. We've been now to 28 countries to do football games, but more importantly, to do educational opportunities for the young men that travel. Uh, that's what that's why I want it. I want them to gain the education of going to different cultures, meeting other people and then showing off their their skills at football, sharing it with the local kids, you know, doing clinics and camps with the coaches. So it's been uh, it's it's been a great ride. We had I had two and a half years now where I was really frustrated because I didn't go anywhere because of COVID. Right. There's no money coming in. I couldn't travel. I was driving everybody crazy at home. Uh, so I just I spent more time in Colorado hiking a lot, you know. <laughs> Uh, to burn off my energy. Uh, but now it's, things are back in action. So it's, yeah, I never would have, I didn't, again, I didn't make this plan. I just kind of like, Hey, here's an idea. Let's go. Boom. And, uh, here we are now 27 years later, and, uh, I'm going to be in, in Ireland again. Absolutely. And, and we, I want to delve into the Ireland stuff, but just before that, I want to know more about, because I mentioned that, you know, that you have, um, amongst the other things, you talked about four careers, but uh, alongside this, uh, you know, you have written as well. Um, and I, I, if I, I want to know about, and I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, but Tupande Kileleni, tell me Tell me about tell me about the, that that particular trip because um, I I had an aunt who uh, spent time um, in um, in in she spent more than sixty years traveling all over Africa um, and she was in Tanzania and she was in Kenya but I want to hear about your footballing trip. Boy, I hope we got another hour. Uh, <laughs> part two later. Now this is one of those, and you meet. One of the best, the best thing of my my job, my global football job, is the people I meet, especially the coaches, right? The coaches that do this, that take their teams to France, to Japan, to Mexico, to Tanzania. These are special guys. They believe in doing something really unique, taking on another challenge. Uh, there's a, a man, and it was brought, it was not my idea. This came to me from a, a friend of mine who had coached at Wabash College, a small D3 school in Indiana. We had taken his team once into the Alps in Switzerland, Austria, done some hiking. And then we'd taken his team to to Panama, did three days of service work in a rainforest, you know, kids paid good money to go do that, you know. And I just found this man's name is Chris Creighton. He's now the uh, head coach at Eastern Michigan University. Totally has turned that program around the last eight or nine years. And I tell people, I just saw some of the kids I was with last week in, uh, in Italy he is the best man I know in college football. If I had, if my son was at that level to play football, I'd say, you got to go spend time with Chris Creighton. He's just, if you ever get a chance to look at what his record over the years now has been incredible. And he just does the right thing. He hikes Pike's peak with his seniors every year, the week before the week before camp. And he invites me to go along with him. And I try to keep up with those young bucks, you know? Uh, but anyway, he comes up to me at the coach, the big AFCA coaches convention, right? There's 10,000, 12,000 big men. It's big, loud place. 
everybody comes up and grabs you, gives each other the bro hug, yo, yo, you know, and it's, and all these guys in coaching have coached in five or six or eight different places. So they got friends from all around the world. This is the one chance they're able to come mix and mingle and they learn, do a lot of educational things. So Chris comes up to me. I haven't seen him. And he had taken a job at Drake at Drake University. And I'd seen he'd gone there and done one season there. And he comes up. I said, how's Drake? He goes, oh, it's awesome. He goes, it's just so cool. It's the next thing, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, but I got something big and I need your help. I'm like, really? He said, yeah, are you in? I'm like, well, give me a little information. You know? He goes, he goes, no, I need some help. He goes, it's going to change your life. I'm going to rock the world of these young men who go with us. He goes, I, I've, I've dreamt it. I've got the permission of my athletic director. I've got our president on board. This is going to be, but I need your help. I need, I need you to do it with me. I'm like, well, what are you doing? What do you, what do you want to do? And he goes, there's never been an American football game on the continent of Africa. I'm like, no shit. You know? And he goes, yeah. He said, he said, I've checked it out. He goes, I want to play the first game ever on the continent with my kids from Drake. And my kids think they're poor Iowa dirt farmers. They're from just middle America, you know, nothing fancy. He goes, I want to show them real poverty. I want to take them out into the bush and I want to work in, in orphanages, in hospitals, in schools. I want them to mix with the people of Tanzania. And he goes, I want to, sh- I want to show them elephants and tigers. And he always says, that, he said, I've always dreamed of that. And he goes, but then I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I'm like, ooh. And he and I, had, we'd done some hiking, like I said, in Europe. I went, how high is that? And he goes, 19,325. And he looked at it. I said, all right. He goes, now are you in? And I just, I just shook his hand. I said, Chris, let's go, man. Let's, let's, let's go to Tanzania and do all this. So that was, uh, what was that? That was January 2010, sorry, 2010. In May of 2012, we played the first game of football in Africa. I smuggled in a thousand footballs that we used in a clinic for kids who had never, no idea what it was. And when they each got a football that we get, they're probably still bouncing around in an odd way, right down the streets of Arusha. Um, we took them and did a safari. We worked in hospitals, orphanages, and then we got to the summit. I, we, we started with 126 started the hike. Generally 50% of the people who start up Tanzania make it to the top just because of altitude and illness, that kind of thing. And we got 119 out of the 126 got to the summit. And, uh, you know, I, it, it's a four and a half days up, one and a half days down. I remember like every moment of that trip. It's just embedded in my brain, you know, and it just, it was just so incredible. And then we came down and, you know, we've done a lot of things since then and looked at it. But on my, on my flight back, which you go to Amsterdam, you know, to get back to America from Kilimanjaro airport, right in the middle of the jungle of Tanzania. And, uh, I said, I better write this down because I'm never going to remember it. And I'm, I keep journals on everything. I, I got my little book here. This is, this is the gift 2023 book. You know, I just, I keep journals with me and I'm always writing and I don't often refer to them, but it's in my brain, right? There's a, I remember that from sister Benita or something in sixth grade said, if you write things down, it connects to your brain and you remember it. Um, so I, I kept copious notes during that trip and my two previous scouting trips to Tanzania. So I decided to write a book and, uh, I just started typing away and, uh, it took about nine months of commitment. Again, it was another one of those. You got to commit. I mean, to, to do things in life, you know, you just, you can't half-ass it. You got to commit to doing it. I said, I'm going to write a book because I don't want to forget it. And when there'll be someday when I'll be real old sitting in a rocking chair 
I got another 20, 30 years before that. But I said, I want to be able to remember these stories and read them. So I wrote this, wrote the book, um, gave it to my niece, uh, Caitlin, who was wonderful and kind of edited it and uh, self-published, you know, use some small, we, you know, haven't sold a lot of copies, haven't really tried to sell them, but I use it. It's almost for me. I mean, the fact that you even mentioned it, I use it almost as an additional business card, you know? In fact, I just put two in the mail today. I have two guys that traveled with me uh, with DePaul University in Italy last week. And one was a coach and one was a dad that, you know, I just got close to. And I thought they might they might want to read this. So it's just stories of uh, that whole event and how it happened and how we pulled it off and why it shouldn't have happened, why it could have not happened. I use a lot of football metaphors and and forms in there about the teams. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, Tupande Kileleni. And the good thing about Swahili, which is Kileleni, is pronounced just like Spanish. So if you can speak any Spanish, you can say the words. You don't have to know what it means. But Kileleni, which has become my mantra, my mission. Where's my, uh, I've got my coin right here. Hang on. I think people can tell we didn't prompt this or I would have had it right in front of me. Uh, but I made these coins and about a year ago, Kiel Laney has just become my motto of life that I didn't know that's what it was, but it's kind of how I was living. And it means to the summit. And that's our guy down there, Frank Mella. I kept asking him ahead of the trip. I got to come up with a big slogan for this event. And I, we're going to go to the summit of Kilimanjaro. I know, but we're also going to go to the summit in our service work. You know, We're going to go to the summit in helping kids play football. We're going to go. So we're taking to the summit. So this is, uh, this is my little challenge coin. The military has challenge coins, right? Depending on what infantry troop, what flight. This has the image of Kilalene, a star, and it says it there. And there's my global football, Kilalene. And I keep this in my pocket because there's a lot of time. Like just this afternoon, I was. it was about 2 o'clock, and I was like, man, I'm kind of tired. I, you know, I got to hop on a plane tomorrow to go to a, a nephew's wedding who's in the military. And I'm, you know, I just got off a plane yesterday, but I'm like, just sit down and do your work. Stop being a, you know, stop being a pansy. And I, I kind of pulled out my coin, you know, and it's like, I'm going to talk to you and do the best job I can. Right. So anyway, you asked for it. I gave you more than you ever wanted. Right. I know. I, that was fantastic. I, I, I'm glad I had no idea. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. And I think, um, I, like if, if that's only, uh, you know, basically, touching the the surface of that story i have no doubt that the book uh, is is even more fantastic so thank you for for sharing it's a, it's a wonderful tale um i'll bring you a copy i'll bring you a copy when i come over next please, no please please do yeah and i suppose that 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 brings us because like you're coming in august but you have a long affinity with this little green island <laughs> my great great grandmother is from mayo which I learned growing up, you know, my last name is Steenberg, which is Dutch, and that was my father, but we, did, we had, he didn't care, you know. But my mother was a Clark Farrell Rafferty uh, from Mayo, you know, and she was redheaded, freckled, just the most amazing uh, Irish woman. And then her, her mother, Helen Clark. Um, so we were raised Irish, right? And, you know, that's just how I was raised. So I, I was born singing Irish songs, you know, and, and grew up doing that. And St. Paddy's Day was a, a huge party for us and at school and everywhere. So, yeah, I got to do that. And then, uh, you know, the next time I got to travel, the only first time I got to travel there was with um, 
a Division three college football team. I think it was the year 2000, right around there. And then I started bringing some teams, you know, that, like the teams, I, the games I just did. Uh, I'll take a lot of small colleges on like nine-day educational football tours, and they'll play one game on it. But mainly they're going for churches, castles, museums, history, mountains, lakes, seas, you know, things like that. Uh, so I've done a number of those in Ireland. Uh, had a few years there where things were a little rough with with the structure and organization of American football, but now it seems like it's just rocking. Like they've got the right people in charge who are moving forward. So this was when this opportunity came up and um, I'm partners with, uh, started with John Anthony, the Anthony Travel Group, which was now on location experience. But John had the idea to do this game, you know, to do Notre Dame Navy game in 2012. And he knew I'd taken some high schools on trips, but more, more of the colleges, but he knew that I had interest in the high school market. And so he called me and said, Hey, we're going to announce Notre Dame Navy, you know, next September, you want to get, bring some high schools. And I went, Oh yeah, that's, that's ideal. So I started reaching out to schools and uh, got great acceptance. And this was before there'd been most hardly any overseas trips. I mean, the Steelers had played in Crow Park. When was that? Like in the, 1997, preseason against the Bears, 1997. Yeah, so there'd been, you know, a little bit, but this was going to be big. So I I was able to bring uh, 12 high schools over that first year. Actually, 11 schools, and then I brought a team from from London, with which Tony Allen coached again, my buddy, who I met first off. Um, So we brought 12 schools, played three doubleheaders, played in Donnybrook, Played in Parknell and played out in Park Talchin in Navin. The people on Navin lit up. County Mead just fired up. They had their own parade there, you know. We had one in Dublin and one in Navin. Um, And it was just another quick little, what a little story about the backdrop of this. So I've got 12 teams. We're going to go to Ireland, be part of the Notre Dame Navy. Obviously, we're a very small part of that. But we ended up bringing 1,800 people, which is a significant travel party, right? Indeed. 1800 trying to keep track of them all i ran three double headers in three different stadiums all at the same time with a staff of six <laughs> notre dame navy had like one game and they probably had a staff of 500 <laughs> but uh, you know but they're on a they're on a much bigger stage obviously um still yeah, that's that's loaves and fishes type stuff that you did there yeah it was wild it, it all it all came together. I didn't. I don't think I slept a wink. You know, in about for about four or five days there. Had some great people, and it, it brings me to that same topic of team. You know, I had some some guys and ladies with me who all just dropped their jobs and said, "Yeah, well, I'll do this with you for a week." You know, I'll help you do this. I'll help you do operations. I'll help you do the 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 office work. I'll help you take care of these teams. And some of them were former coaches. This one lady had worked at Notre Dame for twenty seven years in rec sport. She's coming back again this fall. She, she went to Tanzania with me. So now she's, she can never not go with me. You know, she went to Japan with us once. Um, we, and brought some really good people over, put a team together and then put that event on. But I was trying to think of what else could I do to make it special? I had Mike McCoy as our honorary chairman. Now, Mike is a pro bowler, many years with the Green Bay Packers defensive tackle. One of the biggest men I ever, the first 300 pound man I ever saw. Um, but we also went to the same high school. He was three years older me, than me at Erie Cathedral Prep, but he came over as the honorary chairman. But I wanted to get somebody, I'm like, who else could I get um, t- 
to do the coin toss. You know, in football, the coin toss is a big deal, right? They get somebody, you know, whether it's a celebrity or whatever, somebody important, you know, the president, somebody. And I'm like, who could I get to do the coin toss? And I went, wait a minute. Dan Rooney owns the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's the ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Ireland. I'll just get Mr. Rooney. I'm a Steeler fan. I grew up going to going to their games. I'll just get Dan Rooney. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of the way I think, you know. So I called the embassy, you know, and uh, I, I'll bet I had three or four different meetings with very nice young men who took care of the ambassador and looked after his schedule, and I'd go have a coffee with them, and we'd talk about it, and they'd tell me how busy he's going to be that weekend because he's going to be hosting 18 different parties and five, the president of Notre Dame, the president of the Naval Academy. I said, yeah, I know, but all I need him to do is 10 minutes, come cost, toss a coin. Goes, yeah, but that's like Friday night. I said, yeah, I know, but, you, you know, anyway, I got nowhere. I got nowhere, and I was getting frustrated, and, and I came back one day. I went, wait a minute. I know Rocky Blyer and it's all, you know, this world as we know, it's all about who can get you to someone else. Right. Who, and rock and I had met through his Notre Dame uh, being Notre Dame alums, former fellow players. I didn't know him real well, uh, but I, I knew him well enough to call him. And so I called off and said, Hey, Hey rock, here's, can you help me out? I got this idea. I'd love to have Dan Rooney. And for those who don't know about Rocky Blyer, you got to, you got to get his book called fighting back. Now there is a, a real book. Uh, Rock was captain of the 1967 Notre Dame team, uh, was running back on the 66 national national championship team, was drafted by the Steelers, and then six months later was drafted by the U.S. Army, went and served in Vietnam after he did like half a season with the Steelers, uh, had got shot up, stepped on a hand grenade. Uh, doctors said he would never run again. Maybe we can get you to walk without crutches. Five years later, he was the running back paired with Franco Harris and Terry Bradshaw, the first of four Super Bowls. So that's who Rocky Blyer is in a, in a, now there's a tough guy. I'm just like a little wimp compared to that, that guy. But anyway, I called Rocky. He said, yeah, let me, let me call the old man. I said, all right, sure. Whatever you want to call him. So the next night I'm out feeding my dogs right before dark. And I see the, my phone rings, you know, there it could 412, which I know is Western PA. And I go, yeah, it's Patrick. And I hear this gruff voice going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Pat Steenberg. Yes, sir. Yeah, Rocky Blyer says you need something. This this is Dan Rooney. What what do you what do you need out of me? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and they're like, uh, could you do the coin toss, sir? You know, it's uh, you know, I'm sure you've done one before. We're doing a high school game. He goes, What what when is it? And I said, Friday, we got two games. You could either do the three thirty game or the seven o'clock game, whatever. He goes, yeah, probably. He goes, here, here, I'll give you the number of my assistant, send her the stuff tomorrow. That was like probably in about this time of year, May, June, right? So on the day of, on that Friday, before Notre Dame Navy on Saturday, when they're having, who knows, they were having, didn't they have like the four tenors somewhere? And they, you know, it was like party world in Dublin, right? Uh, part, Dublin fires up for these football games. And, you know, he had the president of everybody. And he came out and did the coin toss. He did the coin toss for the Loyola Chicago versus Dallas Jesuit game. Two very well matched up Jesuit schools, high schools. And as he, he came out and he was, uh, as that game was was getting ready to, to happen, he looked over and there was two other teams you know, over on that 
at Donnybrook, they've got that other field caddy corner. And he said, who's over there? I said, well, that's John Carroll University. They're going to play St. Norbert, two Division three schools. And he goes to his wife. He goes, honey, he goes, our daughter went to John Carroll, right? She goes, oh, yeah. He goes, can I go talk to those guys? That sir, you can go wherever you want. <laughs> this is, you know, you're the U.S. ambassador. You're the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think you can pretty much, yeah, I don't think I'll tell them no. So he went over and spent 10 minutes, 15 minutes talking with the John Carroll players. And they're like, in awe. Here's, they know him more as the Steelers owner than they do as the ambassador to Ireland. But anyway, did that, came back over, did the coin toss and uh, hung around. He said, I want to watch the first half. And his driver now is getting really frustrated because now this little 10 minute thing has been an hour and it's, you know, it's five o'clock on Friday. Just imagine what's going on in all the Notre Dame Navy, the T-shirt, the, the president, the this, the that, the party, you know. And uh, Dan Rooney and his wife sat there and watched the first half of the game and then shook my hand and left. And, uh, you know, he's a, he was just an incredible man. So it's, uh, that's, that's, how, that's how you get stuff done sometimes, you know. <laughs> I, look, the serendipity is running throughout the, the course of... Uh, I don't even know what that, what that word means. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll look well, that up. You... You have certainly had the the rub of it in uh, in your life. Let me let me tell you. Um, I look, I, you know, I, I suppose the we both, um, you know, that that is just a, an an insight into um, your your world and and all of the things that you have done thus far and will continue to because, as you mentioned, in just a few weeks you will be back. Uh, you are bringing another contingent over, um, and it's it's very interesting this time around because you're going to be taking on uh, a team um, from from this little green island amongst uh, as part of the uh, the triple header. So um, I suppose for for fans over here who are are listening, who will have heard a little bit about it, but sure. what are appetites for Friday Night Lights in in Dublin in August? It's gonna be it's gonna be great high school football. I mean that that's and I love high school football. That's where I really got developed my passion was playing playing at that age. And these guys are only a step away from the guys that are gonna play on Saturday. They're a year away, two years, you know, something like that. In fact, in two thousand twenty one, when Notre Dame took the field in the first game, I looked at the defense. There were five starters on the Notre Dame defense in two thousand twenty one that played in Donnybrook Stadium in 2016, because I had a triple header that day too. There was one kid from Marist who was a first-round draft pick. Uh, Ty Hamilton had a great rookie year. He played in there. Uh, there is the, the current linebacker and captain for Notre Dame, J.D. Bertrand, played there for Blessed Trinity. There were two guys on the field from St. Peter's Prep, the Amanda Lolos, who just both signed free agents. So those they're very close, you know, so we're going to have great high school football. Uh, we kick off at noon with the first game, and that one's going to be interesting because it's going to be the NFL Academy that I mentioned earlier, which has only been in operation about three years. And they, they went to Africa a month ago and recruited the best African athletes they could find. Now they got to teach them how to play football. And they've got some of the best athletes from around Europe that have minimal football knowledge but very good talent. So they're going to play against a school named Bonner and Prendy which is a Catholic school in Philadelphia. Uh, they are in Delaware County, just outside of Philadelphia, which 
they told me, John Cook, their president, said we refer to this as Ireland's 33rd county. It is such an Irish place. They're going to bring Kelly Green uniforms, new new nudies for the game, and they're going to try to show their stuff against what the NFL is looking at as potential future college kids. Uh, I know they're well coached. They went to the semifinals of the state championship this year in Pennsylvania. Uh, they've got some athletes. I know they've got a kid there that's being recruited by Notre Dame. They all these teams have players being recruited at the at the upper level. But where these teams are different is is always that next tier. It's that mid range player, right? Everybody's got a couple stars, but it's those mid range players, the linebackers, you know, the the offensive guard, maybe, you know, that's where you you see the difference. So I think that's going to be a fascinating matchup just to see that. And if people uh, have interest in watching, uh, you know, the NFL Academy, see what they've got. So that'll be a noon game. Then at 3.30, what I think will be the best matchup uh, talent-wise will be Seton Hall Prep out of New Jersey, which is a big powerhouse in that Catholic league. They've been down for a few years, uh, but they came back last year, went right to the semifinals. Their head coach, Bill Fitzgerald, was the offensive coordinator at St. Peter's Prep in 2016 when they came over to Ireland. So he knows the game. He knows the stadium. He knows the whole week. Uh, They've also got a DB I know that's being recruited by Notre Dame, been offered for next year. And they're going to play against the Tennessee State Champions, the Baylor School of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Beautiful campus. Looks like a college campus. It's been there 120 years. A classic Southern private school boys and girls, um, and their Big Red is their nickname. So they'll be wearing white unis with red trim, red helmets, and they've got some players. Uh, you know, they, they ran their way through the, through the state of Tennessee, which is really good football. Uh, so that'll be the 330 game. And with that, with that practice field, you know, right off the corner, we can run games. You know, the games usually run high school games around two and a half hours. Don't worry, Ireland fans. I know you're used to going to GAA match and you're out of there in an hour and 50 minutes, right? These will probably run two and a half, 220 to 240, depending on how many passes and stuff. But we won't be a three and a half hour game like the uh, Notre Dame Navy game because we won't have TV timeouts, you know? Uh, so it'll be, you know, it'll be around that. And then, uh, and then seven o'clock is going to be the fascinating one, I think, which you mentioned the uh, AFI, American Football Ireland. Irish Junior Wolfhounds, their all-star team of 18 and unders, are going to play against the Community School of Naples, Florida, in the in the nightcap, seven o'clock kickoff. Uh, the light will start coming out. It'll turn from being uh, Friday light, Friday lights to Friday night lights, you know. And uh, Community School of Naples came over in 2016. Um, they came over and played against a team, another team out of, or they played a team out of Georgia. And they're a small private school, have, have a great tradition of, you know, athletes at diff- in a variety of different sports, very high-end academics. Um, they said they came in 16. They've got the same coach back, Paul Silvidio. They've got a, a new athletic director, which some people um, may recognize his name, Eugene Chung, who was an alignment with the Patriots. He's got a Super Bowl ring, and he's the director of athletics now with community school in naples a great guy i've been i've been working with so it's a triple header game uh one ticket gets you in for the whole day if you want to watch three games of high school football you can do it if you want to come for a half or a game whatever uh it's going to be at the old donnybrook which we now i guess refer to as energia park 
but it'll 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 be you know the English word of Donnybrook. Everybody understands that those those three games will be some of that, I believe. Oh, it it should be absolutely fantastic. I I um have people listeners will be familiar uh, with me telling uh, this story, but my very first game of live uh, American football was in 1991. Uh, fair play to my mother. Uh, she got tickets and, and kind of came with me. There were some hardy souls. It was in the middle of November. It was down in Limerick. It was the Wild Geese Classic. Fordham versus Holy Cross. And uh, that I I loved it. Uh, to, the game is brilliant, but seeing the game live, um, there there isn't anything like it. So for anyone listening um, who who is at all interested in the sport, uh, could not recommend highly enough getting along to to see it live and the opportunity uh, to see really great young players who will many of them go on uh, to do uh, fantastic things um it 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 promises to be a very very special day and with your good self involved uh, i i have no doubt that it will be a, a roaring success um i this this has been like wildly entertaining uh, you you are a, a, an immense storyteller alongside all of your uh, other considerable talents i have no doubt there will be people listening that would like to to hear more uh, about global football where's the best place for them to to do that patrick uh globalfootball.com is the website where we've got a lot of stuff on there we're trying to weed it out with my media lady going how much we got to clean some there's a big old feature there on Tanzania, you know, but globalfootball.com. And then we've got a uh, more and more Instagram things we're doing. The The Instagram for this event is simply gift underscore Ireland. So gift underscore Ireland is where the Instagram uh, for this event will be. And then global football guy is kind of my global football Instagram, just global football guy. I've got stories there from the last few weeks and I'm, I'm still learning my way around social media. You know, I've got this lady, Jess Grider, who's uh, doing the doing the legwork for me. But I, I can take a picture and post it. I got that. I got that figured out. You know, it's 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 really it, that that Fordham Holly Cross game. That must have been amazing. I give you a great credit for going and for going and seeing that. That's uh, that's amazing. And the other, as we all know now, anybody who's listening to this, nobody's getting a ticket into Aviva if you don't have one on your phone. Nobody has a ticket in their pocket anymore. But if you don't have it on your phone. You're not getting in there unless you got big, big money, right? Um, so that that game is sold out, which is awesome. You know the Irish people, the American people. So our game, uh, you know, we're, we're tickets are supposed to go on sale tomorrow. I just today approved everything. It's got a little QR code, right? Which I have no clue how those work, but they do. So, um, and it'll be it'll be available on our website. It'll also be it's under the Leinster Rugby site of tickets. All of and as a, that's who owns, you know, uh, Donnybrook Energy, a park. So we're using their ticketing system, which is good. Hopefully we'll get a lot of rugby fans, you know, that'll just find their way. They're looking for some Leinster you know, rugby match and they'll look over and see the American. And it'll be under GIFT, G-I-F-T, which is the Global Ireland Football Tournament. I came up with that years ago and I can't, I have to have an acronym, right? Just GIFT. So it's GIFT. To that, so it's, it'll be there. Uh, we'll have, we'll make it easy for people to see, but we'll start. And with your help, uh, column, you know, you help tell people about it. I, I do appreciate that. We, they just put new seats in, uh, in energy, a park 
under the roof there. So there's like 2,200 fold down seats, which are real nice. And then there's standing and seating room all around there. And one of the other little treats that we got, I don't have Ambassador Rooney coming this year, but I've got a man as you sit in Energy Park for three games of football, right? If whatever I want, and you, you're going to hear the PA announcer, you know, which in every sport you hear the PA announcer, football, not as much as some other sports. But this man is Michael Collins is his name, but he's from South Bend, Indiana. For 43 years, he was the voice of Notre Dame Stadium, the voice of Notre Dame football in stadium. He retired about four years ago, and uh, I've, I've been in touch with him over the years, and he goes, I've got friends in Ireland. I love going to Ireland. He was over there a couple of months ago to see, to see the boss in concert. And uh, so Michael Collins is going to be, he'll be on the microphone in the stadium uh, throughout that day. So you'll feel, the, if anybody's been in Notre Dame Stadium in their lives, you'll hear that voice and you go, here I am, you know. But it won't be snowing like it does too often in South Bend, I'm sure. So No, August should be pretty nice. And I'll make sure that we put uh, those links uh, to, the, to your, the website and to the tickets into the show notes for this episode. Um, Patrick, all that remains is for me to wish you continued success. I hope, uh, you know, you continue. I have no doubt, though, that you will continue to do brilliant things. And I look forward uh, to having the opportunity to to meet you in person in just a, a few weeks at Energy Park. So thanks so much for chatting to me today. All right. We'll see you soon. Thank, Thank you, you for listening to the Irish NFL show. We truly appreciate all of our listeners. If you're enjoying the show, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on whichever platform you use to listen. It really makes a difference in terms of helping others to find the show. Also, if you want, reach out to us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, or email info at irishnflshow.com. Let us know your thoughts, if you have ideas for guests or a topic you would like us to cover.